Feistow, a crowdfunded group of cyber artists accomplished their mission to buy a copy of a legendary movie manuscript based on the famous Frank Herbert novel, Dune. Now they plan to burn it, create a series based on it, and open the floodgates for fan fiction artists to do what they will with it. The only problem? Well, there's some stuff that they should probably know about intellectual property. Good news, we have special guest Jan-Willem Hudmacher with us, and this is Stuff You Should Know About IP. Stuff You Should Know About IP is the most mind-blowing, knock-your-socks-off podcast about intellectual property in the known universe. So do us a favor, hit that like button, leave us a comment, and share it with your coworkers, your sister, and your family pet. Today's episode of Stuff You Should Know About IP is brought to you by the Trademark Lawyer Magazine. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on in the world of IP and trademarks, go to www.trademarklawyermagazine.com. Each issue is free to read for up to eight weeks. That's trademarklawyermagazine.com for global news in the world of trademarks. All right, Tom, Jan Willem, let's talk about Dune, one of my favorite topics. Yeah, Dune is perfect for you, Ray, because I have not met someone who loves Dune as much as you yet. <laughs> well, so, wait, wait, there's, there's people who love it way more than I do. <laughs> well, oh, really? among, the, among the people I know, you are an enthusiast. <laughs> I, I so, am. Ray, I, you tell I'm us about Dune. Out here. Yeah, yeah, you, you tell, tell us about Dune. Yeah, Ray, uh, okay. I can tell you that the only thing I know about Dune is that it is a book. It's written by Frank Herbert. Correct. Because I have heard about that. And I, I just, I love books, but I do not read any science fiction. Ah. So I, I, I am aware of the existence of the book. <laughs> and I'm aware of the author. You, but I haven't read it. But it's so actually the can... only, it's the only science fiction book I've ever read. So really? It, so you're saying I should yeah. try it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. I don't, if you've never read science fiction, maybe, but if you've read it and you hate it, I don't know. I don't I, know. I but. have read some science fiction but or, or fantasy, but for example, uh, The Lord of the Rings is something that to me is just painful to read. It, yeah, it hurts my brain. Yeah, well, you know, that's, why, that's why God created movies. Ah, okay. You know, you know, I also the watched movies the movies really and I fell asleep. You did? Okay. <laughs> You might like the Lord of the Rings movies, the Doom movies. So well, I'll go into the, I'll yeah. give you the quick history because there's actually two movies that have been made on oh, really? Doom. But just to go back to the beginning, Frank Herbert wrote this book called Doom, 1965. It was released um, and it was a big commercial success. And science fiction, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of debate about this, but a lot of people say that it's the greatest science fiction novel ever written. And he would go on to write five sequels to the original novel. And then in the last 50 years or so, there's been a total of around 36 books, some graphic novels, and, and I think a t an animated series, two movies, and then Jodorowsky's Doom, Dune, which was never actually made. So there's a huge amount of literature and media related to the Dune canon. So obviously a lot of people really like it. Now, the Dune story itself, uh, it, I find it really interesting. So it centers around a planet known as, Ara uh, called Arrakis, 
and it's known as Dune. And Dune is the spice planet. There's this stuff on the planet on the planet called spice, and it's kind of a mysterious substance that allows you, it 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 um, changes your perception of space and time. It's like a mind altering drug, and so it's, it's basically cannabis. Uh, it's like. <laughs> It's like if you if you smoked all the cannabis that ever existed all at once. Uh-huh. Okay. And it gives humans the ability. And one of the things I love about Dune is there's no aliens in the universe. It's just humanity, the only intelligent life. So we're 20,000 years into the future of humanity, and there's no aliens, but there are these, these beings called the spy, uh, Space Guild Navigators. Mm-hmm. And over the last like 10,000 years or something like that, they've been consuming this substance spice because it gives them the ability to fold space and time and travel anywhere in the known universe instantly. Okay, cannabis mm-hmm. cannot do that. Cannabis, well... Well, it can give you, you maybe you the impression that... Maybe, that I'm sure that. it can't do that. Right, right. <laughs> well, I, yeah, wanna, I, wanna, I, mean, to... I, I was thinking, I mean, being Dutch and stuff, that you were describing the Netherlands, but um, that's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Uh, maybe uh, like ayahuasca could do that. I don't know. I've never done ayahuasca. I, I, I don't do drugs <laughs> myself, so I don't really know. <laughs> but um, so so the spice, right? The cool. A couple other things that I think are really cool about the book is, it's there's um, elements of, of 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 religion and politics woven into the story, and 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 the characters all have really great character arcs. Um, mm-hmm. Paul. Uh, Paul Atreides, the, the main character, he comes from this uh, royal family of this one planet, and um, his mother is part of this like sisterhood of like they're almost like nuns, but they're kind of like witches who are trying to breed a superhuman who can like change the whole political structure of the entire universe. And um, Paul, and so Paul was not supposed to be born. His mother was supposed to give birth to a. a, a a girl so that they could like connect the family lines between other big houses but she gave birth to a son they go to dune and then the do the the spice on dune starts changing him um and i don't want to ruin the story too much but he may or may not be this super being right so so that's the background of the story itself now Mm -hmm. david lynch made a movie in the 80s based on dune and it sucked. <laughs> it Wait, was, that, that, well, wasn't Sting in it? St- uh, was it Sting? Yeah, I think it was Sting, Sting was in it. Um, oh, that's why it sucked. <laughs> it was, it was, okay, so as a fan of the book, I, and I saw it in like the early 2000s, right? So I wasn't, you know, influenced by what the popular opinion was of it at the time. So I actually really loved it because I read the book and then I got to see the characters come to life, you know, visually in a way that I couldn't just do in my own mind. So that's why I liked it. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of other Dune book fans that feel the same way and then others who hate it. Um, but before that, there was this guy named uh, Jodorowsky and he was this avant-garde filmmaker. He made some really bizarre films that looked really visually beautiful. This was in uh, the 60s. And he had, for some strange reason, his movies became a cult success and a commercial success. And there were some producers in France that 
what we're willing to back him on his next movie. And they said, whatever you want to do. And he said, Dune. And this was around the time the book had come out and it was really popular. And when he said that, he actually hadn't even read the book. Um, he just said it. And he set out on this mission to create the Dune movie. And he was a really creative guy. And there's actually a documentary about Jodorowsky called Jodorowsky's Dune. And he brought in all these great graphic artists and like uh, set builders, um, set modelers. And they created, they basically, they had the money for the pre-production, the development, not pre-production, but the development of the movie. And then they were created this book of all these drawings, characters, costumes, sets. He storyboarded every frame of the movie from start to finish. I mean, every scene he had visualized. And the documentary is really good if you're into movies and you're into Doom. Um, and so he made this big book, but Hollywood just didn't trust him because he was kind of crazy. And if you watch the documentary, you probably see what I mean. Crazy could have worked out, but too big of a risk for Hollywood who really only, they, they care about the numbers quite a bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was like, but, at, the, at the time, that was $15 million movie, which would have present value of around 100 million. Yeah, and he had only made two movies before that with much smaller budgets that were commercially successful, but kind of a big leap to go from an avant-garde filmmaker to big blockbuster Hollywood filmmaker. Of a 14-hour film, which is what he right. had expected, and, right? Right, and that was the other problem. He wanted, he was saying things like, oh, it's going to be 10 hours, 14 hours. And, you know, even as a trilogy, that would be still kind of long. Yeah. Um, so it. they were, they, they, he scared them away, I think. Mm -hmm. um, now, hindsight is twenty twenty because uh, last year, Denis uh, Villeneuve, I think is how you pronounce his name, or Denis Villeneuve, he made a movie version of Dune, uh, just came out last November, and I've already seen it three times. Uh, you have? I have, <laughs> because it was so good. It was so wow. good. I mean, it has its critics, but as a big fan of the book, way better than David Lynch's version. And to be fair, he's got a lot more techno technological toys to play with to make it really come to life visually. Um, and so far, the box office on that film, or as of a couple weeks ago, is almost $400 million global box. Wow. And then, so of course, streaming Blu-ray, Blu-ray, merchandise, and all that. And I even bought... I bought a copy of the book years ago, but I bought three more copies of the book. So the book mm -hmm. sales have gone up. You know, oh yeah. Giving them away as gifts to people <clears throat> who I know like to read and all that. Plus all the other books. I mean, the franchise has got to be worth some money now. So that's the backstory. <laughs> um, now in comes Spice Dow. And Tom, you you did the background on Spice Dow. So you could probably tell what what... All yeah, I so know is these people made a really what seems to be a an obvious mistake and a kind of embarrassing mistake. Yeah, absolutely. So so just to give you a little bit of background on on Spice Dow. So these are so there's these decentralized autonomous organizations out there, and they are essentially groups of a lot of times crypto enthusiasts that are trying to buy stuff. Like there's a DAO right now that's trying to buy an NBA team. And this DAO, Spice DAO, is um, founded by a guy whose nickname is Sobe. 
And Shobi did pretty well in the uh, Ethereum game, I think. Mm-hmm. And anyway, his vision was to do great things with this book of their Jodorowsky's Bible, right? It's like this thick, you know how you described yet every yeah. frame, every everything. It's all in this book. It's, it's yeah. all in this book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's this thick book. And it's got, there's maybe 10 or 20 of them in the world. And every once in a while, there will be a, a Christie's auction and they'll sell for like 25 or 30,000 euros. Well, in this case, this guy, um, Sobe, <clears throat> raised 650,000 euros to basically buy this book. One of these books came up, one of these Jodorowsky Bibles came up and it wasn't, and there were two basic problems with it. One, Christie's did not accept Ethereum as a payment mechanism. And two, it wasn't enough money. So he ended up putting money out of his own pocket in to buy it for 2.66 million euros. And he did not realize what he was buying. And he, he, just to give you a flavor of it, he wanted to do seven things with this book, right? First, he wanted to issue a collection of NFTs that are technically innovative and culturally disruptive. There was an article where he said he has never had an opportunity to be at the cultural decision table, but now he is. So that's one. Two, he wanted to convert the book into JPEGs. Then he wanted to burn the book as a marketing stunt. And then he wanted to create a video of burning the book and selling that as an NFT. Then he wanted to make the book public to the extent permitted by law. Then he wanted to produce an original animated series inspired by the book and sell it to a streaming service. And then he wanted to do something he refers to as support derivative projects from the community. So that's what he had in mind from buying a book. Now, as we know from being IP people, he didn't buy the rights to Dune. He didn't buy the copyrights. He just bought a book. So the question is, can he do any of those things? Now, coincidentally, for the past eight hours of this day, I've been uh, teaching a class in Switzerland remotely from Florida via Zoom in in my hotel room here. And I've been basically teaching IP fundamentals to EPFL students, which is an executive MBA program there. And I could not control myself. I had to bring up this Dune scenario, right? And I basically asked the students this, of the seven things that they want to do, which are they allowed to do? So, and I'll ask Jan Willem. Jan Willem, first thing they want to do, you're, his, you're the lawyer for the uh, Spice app. They want to issue a collection of NFTs that are technically innovative and culturally disruptive. Now, you've become a bit of an NFT guy in the past 48 hours, right? Well, I, I, I've looked into it, and I have, I have to admit um, that I think there is probably, at the moment, more that I don't understand than that I actually do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not alone. That's how I do. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be very upfront about that, because my... My understanding is that that NFT is um, it is it is something which uses blockchain and to create a non-fungible token, which means it is it is something a, a piece of software which cannot be fudged. So 
once you have it, it is very easy to check if anybody has has fiddled with it and, and changed even one bit in, in the piece of software. So that is good in terms of authenticity. Now, when I was, I watched your previous video on NFTs, which I recommend to everybody where you were talking about uh, NFTs and uh, for example, a painting by Monet. And that got me thinking because an NFT is not the same as a painting in the same way as what we're talking about now that is an NFT is, is something in terms of software. And that's not the same as a book because a book you can burn a piece of software you can't burn while you can crash yeah, the server right. it's on, but you cannot, you, you cannot burn the actual code. Right. So if I look at the analogy with the with the Monet, if I buy a Monet, I have a painting by a famous painter. And obviously it's uh, a matter of taste. If you like Monet, I happen to, to like him, but not everybody does. I remember you uh, not being too impressed on. <laughs> so <laughs> so which, which is fine. But, and this is the interesting part about art. A painting by Monet, yeah, what is very important is that this painting actually has to be painted by Monet. So there has right. to be, the, the buyer needs to be sure that this painter was not paid by his housekeeper who had sort of taken it up as a hobby. And but this, that Monet actually put his brush to the canvas and created this painting himself. Right. And now Monet has been dead for probably, uh, probably about a hundred years or so, I think 80 to a hundred years. Um, he lived in the 19th uh, century. Um, and so this painting could have changed hands a lot of times. And what is important in order to establish that a painting is authentic is what in the art world they call provenance. And provenance is where does it come from? So if a painting changes hands, there is also paperwork that goes with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you buy, if you were to buy a painting now from, let's say, Christie's or Sotheby's or one of the, the big auction houses, you don't just get the painting. You also get a whole bunch of paperwork and the certificate of authenticity. Yeah. yeah. Now, and this is what made me think about these NFTs, because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that in this particular case, the NFT is not the painting, but it's the certificate of authenticity. And the certificate of authenticity is always given off by the current owner of the painting, because he will say, I bought this painting from person X, Dan and Dan, or from Christie's, or yeah, this is the paperwork that came with it. And I certify that the paperwork that came with it is the actual paperwork. And this painting, therefore, is the real thing. Right. Yes. So that is where I see potentially that an NFT could be, could be um, useful. And in particular, for example, if it is a, um, 
yeah, if it, if it, but you could also use that for some digital work of art. Yeah. So that that I can see the the thing that I am sort of completely missing in this whole discussion is that these guys have a book which they want to burn, and then they want to create NFTs. Well, they're probably going to have to create these the things. What well, they, those would be, I have no idea. Well, well keep, keep in mind, here's what I'm thinking. So they want to do a number of things. They want to create NFTs. They say they want to create JPEGs, right? So yeah, imagine this book. All right, right. Imagine this book, though, is filled with a whole bunch of images. And yeah. if they did own the rights, not just the book, but the rights, they could create a whole bunch of NFTs, like of every page or every drawing, and then sell those off individually. But like you said, they don't own the IP rights, they just own the book. So they can't create JPEGs. They cannot well, really create- Well, they own you usually. They could, if you want to, if you say, I want to look at the actual pages and I have only one book, but you, look, I paid 2.6 million for this thing, so I want to put it in the safe, then I think you are generally allowed to create JPEGs for yourself, which you alone can then watch well, technically speaking, technically speaking, you cannot make copies. <clears throat> Copyrights give you the right to prevent your, other people from making copies. So technically speaking, yeah, you paid $2.6 million. Tough luck. But well, who's going to pay? Wrestle, but I think, I think right. in Europe, there is also something which is called fair use. And you are allowed to make a copy for yourself. If yeah. and, and no one would care, right? No one no. would care. Right. But... If you start selling off NFTs with those JPEGs, that's a different story. You are not that's a different to do story. That. Now, the one thing they they so I was talking to this EPFL group today, and the question was, can they burn the book? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would they say own yes. it. They can they burn it. it. It's their okay. Book. Now, can they videotape the burning? Make a digital, create a digital representation, and then create an NFT and sell the NFT. Can they do that? Well, the question is what you mean by digital representation. I think if you would, um, if you would, would make a big pile of wood, uh, set fire to it, throw the book on it, and videotape the whole thing, that would yeah. probably be allowed. Okay. Now, I originally thought that till I started talking about it. But what if you could see the Dune cover in your digital representation? Ah, yeah, that's you know, a tricky one. Right, Jodorowsky's cover is kind of, it's unique, it's distinctive, he created it. Now you've created a derivative work from a copyrighted work. So I don't know, you can certainly burn it. You could certainly, well, you could probably videotape it. If you didn't have the book, I mean, if you had like a book, but you couldn't see anything of it, you said, oh, this is the Dune book by Jodorowsky and you threw it in the fire, then yes. But arguably you can't create a reproduction of any of the pieces of it, right? So that's questionable. They wanna burn it, okay. Then they wanna videotape the burning and sell it as an NFT, maybe, but depends, I guess, what the definition is of what copyrights are, right? Yeah. But and, then and, they wanna do other depends stuff. On how, I think it practice because nowadays in our Zoom times, you know that particularly politicians when they're interviewed on TV, they always have a big bookshelf behind them. Oh yeah, right. With, including with, Lots of books that they think make them make them look intellectual, right? <laughs> that they've never read, right? I'm feeling well, a little insecure yeah. right now. Look at Ray. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Ray, you're you're off the hook here because your book 
bookcase is so far away that you can't, can't actually read the titles. Yeah, yeah. it's so, actually so, all Mad Magazine. <laughs> so here's the other thing they want to do. They want to make it available to the public. And the way they put it was they want to make it uh, the book public to the extent permitted by law. So I'm having this discussion with these guys at EPFL today. And I said, well, you can sell the book, right? You can resell it. And then one of the guys objected. He said, yeah, you could resell it, but you can't, like, for example, rent it. You know, you can't let people come and read it and give you $20 to read it. And I thought, why not? You own it. You can let them, you can no, pay to read it. Because, because I know that for, for libraries, for example, they buy books. Yeah. But there, are, there are some agreements um, that if you want to rent something, if you want to rent something out that you have to pay royalties. Right. But which, the, is but different, the, yeah. which is different from when you have actually sold the book. Yeah. And then I'm wondering, though, the copyrights. Copyrights, you can prevent people from making copies, which you're not doing by renting it out. They can prevent you from making derivative works, which you're not doing. But maybe they can prevent you from. Well, here's a good example the guy gave me today, which I thought was interesting. He said, well, if you buy a CD or you download something from Apple or Apple Music, you can't then go out to a stadium and have a concert, you know, and sell tickets to a concert where you're playing your CD. And it's kind of like that with renting the book. And I thought my conclusion was, I don't know the answer to that question. Can uh, I, you... think, I think it is in Europe, at least there is, I know that, um, that libraries pay authors, libraries buy the book, but they have to pay authors royalties um, uh, every year based on the number of times the book has been uh, uh, rented out. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I, I, did, I did read, in fact, I did read a column of one of, of an author <laughs> once who said that he got this uh, royalty check and it was two euros and 64 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I think that was over the last three years. So he couldn't even go to Chipotle. It's hardly worth the paper it's written on in the post. Right. He couldn't even get an Impossible Burger. No, right. no, no, no. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to do that. No. Maybe an Incredible Burger, but not an Impossible yeah. Burger. So then so, the other thing, the other thing they want to do is, let's see, produce an original animated series inspired by the book and sell it to a streaming service. What do you think of that, Jan Willem? Yay or nay? Probably not. What do you think, Ray? Well, inspired, inspired is a bit is not very. It's a funny well word. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, because if it is inspired, um, and it would be, it would only be inspired, but it would be completely different. It would, for example, it would also be about a planet. Um, yeah. In the future, would, oh, but if it, if it uses the character, but but, <coughs> but but if it would, if it if it were to have the same. Yeah, the same characters you would have. And you got a problem. Yeah, now yeah, you got so, a problem. So here's here's a couple interesting things that might change up this discussion a little bit. So okay, Ray. This is from from all information that I learned from watching the Yodorowsky's Dune uh, documentary. So okay. apparently Yodorowsky, because they had the he they had purchased the rights. It was owned by Hollywood to the Dune, yeah the film rights to do the film rights. So apparently he changed quite a bit from the original novel. Um, now, a lot of the things that I already mentioned, you know, the spice, the planet, Dune and all that, 
the core of it was there, but he changed some of the characters up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, he changed the ending. Oh, really? He changed the ending so significantly that there wouldn't really be room to do any additional films based upon any of the sequel books. Because he changed the ending to the main character dying and his consciousness enters the consciousness of everyone else in the universe. And the movie ends with everyone saying, I am Paul. Mm -hmm. But it's like in Paul's voice. And so, and that is nothing like the true ending. The true ending is, you know, I won't give it away for those who want to read the book. Yeah, don't give it away Mm because I'm still going to check it out. But it was interesting. Now, here's another interesting thing that could change this. So the documentary does really good side-by-side comparisons of images from the Jodorowsky, you know, Bible manuscript. And almost every science fiction movie that's ever been made since the late 1960s, including Star Wars, Star Trek, and so on. And going back a little bit, when he was shopping this movie around in Hollywood, trying to get the money to make it, every big studio, every big player in Hollywood got a copy of this book. Now, maybe that meant there was only like 50 books, but still a lot of powerful Hollywood people had a copy of this book. And a lot of those people are the people who were back in the creation of all the scientific (laughs) movies you've ever seen, the Avengers, Marvel, all those movies. And things that were in the illustrations that he created in partnership with all the artists that he brought in are really evident in some of these movies. So they imply not so, uh, really not so um, subtly that this book has influenced the imagery and um, even certain story elements that, that are, have arisen in a lot of really famous science fiction movies throughout the years. It's sort of like you can trace back the source of all the really creative ideas that worked in these movies. You can yeah. trace that. That's why it's like the Bible of, mm. you know, the, the, the mm. science fiction. The movie right? Bible, yeah. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> is that allowed? And yeah, that's, that's what I that's mean. So allowed. the word, that's why I like the way Jan Willem put it, the word inspired, inspired by is interesting but if you took all the characters from dune and you started making movies you know it's kind of like the star trek movies right you got the star trek you got uh, deep space nine and and voyager are they they don't even have they don't have james kirk in them they, but they have the whole they still have klingons and romulans and they talk about kirk and they're yeah. clearly derivative works of star trek yeah but is it a derivative work if you say I'm going to have a planet that Earth occupies 20,000 years from now and, you know, all kinds of cool stuff happens, but there's no spice and there's no uh, emperor of the universe and Mick Jagger's not there and um, and, <laughs> yeah. and and, and uh, David Carradine's not there and Salvador <laughs> Dali's not there, <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's a good that's the question. But I think well, they, they would have a hard time doing what they want to do, which is to create an animated series of Dune, yeah. right? I think that would be, because when you say it's inspired by, if people, let's say people in the know would recognize references, that is completely different 
from something being a knockoff. Right. Yeah. And the and the the I think the courts, if if you if they were to be sued, the courts would say, are people going to think that this is coming from the same author or not? And is there a likelihood of confusion? I'm, I don't know if you're aware, but there was a, uh, a Russian, um, uh, some Russians made a knockoff of Harry Potter. And I wasn't they, aware. Ah, well, and they, uh, I think actually it went to, um, it also went to a Dutch court for some reason. And they're quite good at doing that, those kind of things quickly because they wanted to have a translation of the Russian book in Dutch. And the books are essentially about a girl wizard who is an orphan. Yeah. So, and the, a lot of the story is, is the same, but what they did, they changed some genders around and they, they changed yeah. some names. And then they said, no, that's... And they tried to give as a defense that it was a parody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. a parody, you can say, I'm making a parody right. on something because that is a completely, that has a totally different atmosphere and that such would be, yeah, more or less inspired, but completely different. Right, right, right. And, yeah. and that a, a parody would be allowed. Um, Except it's usually, usually for a parody to be allowed, it has to be known that it's a parody. And not yes, another exactly. dramatic series, right? Exactly, not a, and it, it right. would have to, it would have to be completely clear that it is not just another uh, another book in the series, right? Right. Yeah, it, yeah. it has to be complete, and there should be no confusion possible. Um, and the courts didn't buy the argument about the parody, by the way. So <laughs> well, gold pants. Well, with respect to our friends at Spice Dow, I think Ray's comment that he made is a good way to end our segment, which was, remember what you said you, your favorite part of the article was? Yeah, who's, who's gonna good? tell them? Yeah, who's <laughs> gonna tell them? I mean, I, what what are they gonna do next? They're out, how many million euros? 2.66 million. Yeah. yeah, and it came out of Sobey's pocket. So he that, might not get reimbursed. A big punch in the gut. Now, one thing though, and this is a, a serious question. Now, does Yodorowsky, I, let's assume that he still somehow has the rights to the book that he created, the film rights or something. Well, but see, I don't, okay, this is where it gets confusing because there's there's the film rights, which clearly now have transferred hands to Del, Den, Denis Villeneuve, who made yeah, last yeah. year's movie. But does Yodorowsky have any rights over his creations still? And can he transfer those? And the reason I ask is if you watch the documentary, he's a super creative guy. Clearly uh -huh. a brilliant artist. But, I think he's he probably love this. Well, but let's put it this way. He can you can get a copyright on a derivative work which is infringing another copyright. So Yodorowsky, if his work, even if it's infringing the original Dune, it's still his own derivative work, which has copyright protection. So your question though is can Yodorowsky give up the rights to Dune around and arounding Frank Herbert. To his version of it. To his yeah, version. right, to yeah. his version of his Dune, derivative. which is a derivative work, which would infringe if he didn't have the rights to, um, and I'm sure his license expired. The film rights expired. It was probably a you know copyright of, or license of limited duration. 
So really? he probably doesn't have rights anymore, but his book still has copyright. So he might be able to sue the um, the Spice Dow for violating his copyrights in his own book if they try to create an animated series out of his book. But Frank yeah. Herbert might also be able to sue for violating the copyrights of the original Dune series. Well, I don't think Frank Herbert is going to sue. I think it's going to be his Yeah, he's heirs. dead. Right, yeah, he's dead. Right, um, But Joe copyrights Dorsky last a long time. 70 years after the death of the author. Which is and, crazy. But, yeah, but that's interesting because Jodorowsky um, is apparently still alive, but he was born in 1926. So he would now be like 96 or so. But yeah. he's still alive. He's which still means alive. He's still at, so it's still plus 70. Yeah. So, but we still have to, uh, and the issue with this is, of course, is that when he, he created this book, Jodorowsky did, so at, at some point in time, he had an interest in actually creating yeah. this film. It, yeah. it, I mean, it never got off the ground, but um, he might be okay with he might else like trying it if, if right. he still has well, the rights, of course. Seeing, seeing yeah. as how the failure of his version of Dune met, meant that he literally never made another movie again. He made wow. two movies early in his career. He was in his early 30s. He made them in his like late 20s, early 30s. They were a success. He had the development of Dune. Hollywood can't, you know, shot him down. And then he just never made a movie. And then he, be yeah. then he became a car salesman. <laughs> he, well, what, he, what they did was they made a bunch of... So he, he, what, the cool thing in this documentary is he got a bunch of really great artists that created a team. And they, they all loved Jodorowsky. They thought he was kind of crazy and weird, but he was inspirational. And he's, <clears throat> all of them have gone on to have great careers in their fields. Wow. And he kept working with some of them and they made graphic novels and things like that. So he was still creative or active as an artist, but um, he never made a movie again. Wow. That just goes to show you, if you could tell by the end of the film, he just, it was like, you know, just the knife going through his heart. And he's and still he, alive. He's really still suffering. Too, where he, he talks about watching David Lynch's version of the film. And he was, you know, going into it, he was anxious about it. And because it was like, he liked David Lynch, he knew him personally. But when he watched the movie, he was like, oh, it's terrible. And he was so happy that it was terrible. And the look on his face is just great. Um, but you well, liked it. I did, but, you know, I'm a geek, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Well, Ray, thanks for bringing this yeah. topic up. Everyone, if you enjoyed watching this episode of the podcast, and it's one of our longer episodes, and, and I'm not ashamed about that because I love Dune, but if you enjoyed it as much as we did, especially me, Please don't forget, uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about Tom's seven questions and uh, share this. Again, remember, the most important person in this podcast is you. You have the power. All right, see ya. Bye.